mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey everybody, welcome back to Marriage of Martinis. I'm Adam and here's Danielle. Hi. <laughs> That's a weird hi. Hi. <laughs> what's, what's going on in there? <laughs> I don't know, I'm so tired. Yeah. Ian and I, uh, my our middle son and I did the Rugged Maniac yesterday. Oh my God, first of all, and second of all, if you could see Danielle's leg, mm-hmm. I almost passed out and threw up just seeing it. It's not that bad. <laughs> it's pretty bad. I know. The Rugged Maniac, there should be a whole, like, people over 40 should be allowed to do it separately. Right. Because I was trying to keep up with, first of all, we're doing it with my 11-year-old son, who, like, he could have done it three times around, right. probably. very athletic. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and you're just there with all these, like, young people who make it all look so easy, and then you follow them, and you're like, I'm going to do that, too. And then you're like, nope, no, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, we did it. It was it was really fun, but I'm it was also 96 degrees. But, like, 110 heat factor, yeah, whatever that is. it was is. really hot out. But anyway, so I am exhausted today. Uh, my recovery, I will be taking this whole week and napping and making up for um, all the exhaustion of the rugged maniac. <laughs> I'm just preparing you. So today we're talking to Nick He, and he wrote this book, Two Dads and Three Girls. And when I started following him on Instagram, uh, I just, I knew I had to read his book, Uh he is originally from China, born born and raised in China, in a very, very, very strict, uh, strict traditional upbringing that never really talked about sexuality. So when he started to have ideas that maybe he was attracted to men, it was really scary to him. And I will let him tell the rest of the story. He is the sweetest guy. What he's been through and his story are completely inspiring. And it just shows that every story is beautiful. And I just, I love that now he has this happiness and this great life. So here's Nick He. All right. Hi, Nick. Hi, Danielle. How are you? Nick, how are you? Hi, Adam. How are you? I'm good. good. Nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you too. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. I'm really excited. Uh, Thank you for coming on. And uh, I read your book and I really liked it. It's called, yeah, Two Dads (laughs) and Three Girls. And I loved it. I I, I read it pretty quickly, actually. Um, I didn't read the whole uh, third part about the surrogacy and everything. um, But but, um, I'm not through it yet, but it's all so Mm -hmm. interesting. And if you want to tell us a little bit about the background of the book, what made you write it, um, anything you want to tell us? Um, yeah, so my my name is Nick, but my Chinese name is Yu. So, so I, I'm always say I 100% made in China. And mm-hmm. I was shipped to United States in 2007. Um, and I got my MBA in East Coast. And then I moved to Seattle after that. So looking back, I think um, I always say I'm a 100% confused straight kid as well Graham in China I never really understand sexuality our sexuality uh, class is like a sex education class is like 45 minutes for the whole 12 years so I never really also have time to really thinking about who I am and then do I like girls do I like boys um, so after coming here um, and then I came out to myself I found my partner Brian and then now we have three girls through the surrogacy I just feel so happy so blessed um, and then, <clears throat> but I never want to tell my story. When we have our twins, they're Hanalei and Chelsea. They're two years old now. And a gay media, they want to interview us, make a video of our family. At the time, talk to my partner and say, do you want to share the story? And then he said, no. And then I feel the same way. It's like we work so hard to build a family. 
And then we just feel like why we want it to be public. So everything changed. Think about why we want to write this book. It, um, there are, I think there are two things. The first thing is uh, Andrew Solomon. So yes. he's a famous writer. Oh, my God. I was and just going to talk to you about Andrew Solomon. Yeah, I watched his TED Talk, how the worst, memory, uh, worst moment in life really impacts, um, made the most out of you, basically. And then so every time I listen to that, that TED Talk, it just made me cry. And I just thinking about he, uh, he called to action, like, go out to tell the story. And it made the world a better place. Mm. So that's where it planted seed. But still, there's, I don't have a trigger. So the trigger is last December, it's my partner Brian and I went to an event called Best Year Ever event in San Diego. So it was hosted by the uh, Miracle Morning guy. So I practice Miracle Morning every morning, the five rituals, try to make the best of my life. What is a Miracle Morning? So, so Miracle Morning, they're five things. They believe in successful people. They all do five things in the morning, starting from doing exercise and then doing meditation, doing reading, um, and then also visualize your future and then doing the affirmation so those are the things i do every morning and there's the sixth one is about scribing write down stuff so uh, sometimes i do five sometimes I do four sometimes I do all six but those are the good times it's like before everybody wake up and i can do something to think about what my future wants to be uh, it's like the book the secret you know or the next uh-huh yeah it's like once you want something and the world will come here to help you or like the alchemist i believe in I'm not religious, but I believe in uh, all those. There are somebody up there. So um, the event was hosted by the Miracle Morning guy, um, Hal. And in the event, he talked about um, what do you want to leave in the world when you, when you die? And then that started to push me to thinking about all the struggles I had when I was a little boy, when I meet Brian, the gay culture, the first time I experienced it. And then, I don't know, and during that event, Brian and I discussed, we said, we want to write this book. We just want to help people that who may be still struggling about their sexuality or anything. Uh, just people telling them they cannot be themselves, and then there's a choice. Um, so, yeah. So, after, after coming back from the trip, I decided to write a book. And then, here we go, six months later, uh, it is out there now. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm, glad, <laughs> I'm you. glad you did, and I agree. I think that, you know, we... we we tell our story, Adam and I, every week because same thing. We want everybody to know they're not alone, and the you know the it, we all struggle, and we're but we're all here for each other too. So I think that's great, and I think it's amazing. I'm I'm obsessed with Andrew Solomon, um, and uh, did you did you watch his the documentary Far from the Tree, the Hulu documentary? And he wrote he wrote a book oh, Far from the yet. Tree. Oh, you have to watch it. It's fantastic, and everybody oh, everybody listening to this, you should definitely either go read the book or um, and and one thing that he first of all he talks about the idea of love versus acceptance that we love our is one thing to love your children it's another thing to accept them and that mm-hmm. we, we want we want to feel loved but even more than that we want to feel accepted and mm-hmm. um i think that's a lot of what you've dealt with because when you when you first came out to your parents and we'll get to that um it was a struggle but a lot of that mm-hmm. has to do with with do you think the Chinese culture and ra- being raised in China and, and what it was like there? Yeah, I do think that has a lot of impact. It's like in China, it's very easy, especially I, I was born in 1982. That's when the open door policy, which means China is first opening um, the economy to the Western world. And then so uh, the Western companies can go into China to build factories and doing different things actually to help the economy locally and also help the country to grow. Um, at that time, I, w- um, I was the only child. That's also the only child policy. So all the parents, their expectation is on me. I need to be the best kid that possible. And then the Chinese infrastructure is not that good. I mean, the education infrastructure. So there are only so many kids can go through college, can really get a good job. Otherwise, they need to go to Nike factory to work. So um, I need to fight everybody, uh, all my friends, and then to be the person who can, what we call, cross a single lock bridge, and then to do the other side have the glory if you call those um and then i was lucky i passed that but it is during that journey that i don't have any other choice to thinking about who i am what is the sexuality and then my parents always say no dating at school so that's the policy they set up and then no dating at school otherwise i need to go to work in the factory and so that's the way um i grew up in and then on one side 
it limits my ability to thinking about my sexuality. On the other side, I feel happy about that. This gives me what I have everything today. I used to hate my edu- Chinese education, but I'm so grateful for that now. Um, it everything happened for a reason. Getting back to China, what, can you tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up there and what you experienced uh, mentally and the struggle that was going on in your mind and um, just the fact that you you felt like you couldn't even explore any sexuality. And in fact, you say in the book that the first time you even ever heard the word homosexual was in college. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. So I never really thinking about sexuality. I always see um, there's a there's a girl in my uh, middle school, um, and then we call each other mentor mentee because I'm mentoring her on her chemistry. So we're dating every day. Not I thought this dating together. I thought that's love. I thought it's everything. But other than that, I don't know. It's like love is such a or dating is such a taboo. It's like parents just don't want you to do that. And then so um, I was getting close to her, but that experience was cut short, uh, short very quickly. Just at that time, my deathmate. Um, that was a, actually the memory I want to forget for so long. But writing this book make it to come alive. It's um, I was in my, I think it's my middle school. I think it's um, in U.S. It's the tenth grade, I think. Um, and then it's the Chinese communist um, communist policy class. We need to recite a lot of different things about the communist party. That's what every kid needs to do, and then take the exam. I was so bored. I don't like history and Communist Party uh, the policy because it's boring. It's just reciting. And then my destiny just start suddenly grabbing me. I found there's something in my private area. And then he grabbed so tight. And then he asked me, am I dating that girl, that the girl I was mentoring? And then he told me that is his girlfriend, that he cannot, I cannot be with her anymore. I don't even think we're dating at that time, but he just keeps harassing me every other day. And then I try to shut it down. I try to all use all different ways, try to distract myself from that. Um, and then at the same time, my mom back home, she loves me so much. And then she heard from other parents that I am spending time with a girl. And then she keeps telling me that on the dining room table, say, oh, some other kids. And then they have dating in school and then they didn't go to college. So all these pressure, just I think what they do to me is made me not to deal with it. So what I did something very well is I just bury all those thoughts, bury the harassment, the, the power, you know, from my deathmate one to show me that he is better than me, he's over me, and then from the girl that I think I like, I don't know, and then all just shallow it down in my heart that I never have time to process it until I'm writing the book. So writing this book, it's like every day I woke up at 4.30 to 5 o'clock and I just go to my office, start writing. A lot of the morning, um, my partner Brian, he, do, he does uh, P90X in the morning. After he finished, he comes to the office, just see me crying there. And then he's like, are you okay? I was like, I'm so happy. I'm so happy I'm reliving all the moments that I don't even want to touch before because I just feel like um, processing a lot of time we're so busy fighting the obstacles the life is throwing at, at us. We don't have time to process all those. But writing this book gave me a chance to process it. I want to write this book to help other people, to want other people to see that it's not the happy photos I share with my three girls, with my partners, that's important. It's a story, it's a struggle behind it. And then, but um, to be honest, I feel like after writing this book, the person got helped the most is myself. Yeah. Sure. Um, I, I, I just feel so happy after writing this book. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry, you asked about China. No, no. I keep thinking about it. Well, I no, it's, it's wonderful. You're, you weren't just processing it. You're doing something good with it. So you're yeah. seeing, you know, it's helping yourself and others. So it's not just the process. Yeah. It's, yeah, you're doing something really, really valuable with it, which is great. Yeah, thank you. And I go back to what Danielle was saying. It's like China, the environment. And I realized we all grew up in different environments. Uh, when I started writing the book, some friends start, oh, strangers actually, uh, started reaching out to me. They, they also have problems about their sexuality. And then they, because of religion, I remember there's one lady, I think she lived in East Coast, uh, in the New England area. I thought it's very open. 
but she said her family is so religious that she cannot be gay. But now she's in her 35 or 36. Now she can finally come out to herself. Mm-hmm. I, I just feel like it is all kinds of environment that constrain us, constrain who we need to be. And then on the other side, I just feel like I'm so happy that I am gay. I'm so fortunate because <clears throat> because I'm gay, I can decide to quit my job at Microsoft and then to start my own career as entrepreneur. When our older dog is one year old, the other twins are still in the belly of our surrogate mother, and I have I can have the courage. I can have the courage to do what I want to do and then to live a life I want. You know, because coming out to myself is hard. So all those uh, decisions seem to be easier now. So, right. Anyway. Right. Well, one thing also that Andrew Solomon says uh, all the time, uh, um, and he's a huge LGBT. Well, he he is gay, and he also is a big yep. LGBTQ advocate. But um, one of the things that he always says is we have this assumption that we all want to f- fit the norm, right? That if we have anything that's quote unquote, you know, not, I don't want to use the word deviant because it's not deviant, but thought by society to be, you know, our sexuality or any kind of um, quote unquote disability or whatever it is that makes us uh, different from the norm that as outsiders, we, we look on and we say, oh, well, they must want to fit in with the masses. They must, must want to be normal. When really a lot of times, no, people, you know, the things that make us different are the things that make us beautiful. And what he found in all his research was that most people don't want to rid of that stuff. They embrace it. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it's wonderful. That's- that's so true. I think there's a big difference between fitted in and belonging to. I mean, for so long, we were taught to fit in, right? It's changing ourselves right. to fit in the environment. But more importantly, to find an environment that we feel belong, belong to that environment, that everybody belongs to the, believing the same value. And I think it took me so many, like 36 years to figure that out. And then I just hope my girls, they will grow up in that environment that's easy for them to, you know, to belong to. Anyway, yeah, I, I can't agree more. Yep. Yeah. And uh, can you talk to us about so when you came over to the United States? Um, well, first, you went to Vancouver, correct? Um, first, I came to Seattle, actually. Okay. So the Vancouver part is, um, is another part of the life, like Steve Jobs said, it's connecting dots. I truly believe in that. It, um, when I was in um, college, the senior year back in China, at that time, I tried to, I know I'm a little bit different. I really know. And then, you know, it's struggling. It's like, who am I? And then, do I like gay? So there are internet cafe everywhere in China. And then, so I found the internet cafe and I started to go to gay.com. So China is like big internet. It blocked most of the website, Western website. Um, and then, but somehow the gay.com is available. So I always find the darkest corner. Nobody can see my screen. And I started to browse gay.com. That's where um, I actually find a guy, and he's from Vancouver. And then so I start talking to him. And then just that year, and then he told me that he's coming to visit Shanghai during Christmas. He wanted me to meet him. And then I met him. I spent a night with him. We didn't have sex. I don't even know what sex is. But we did have some intimacy. And then the next morning, I ran away from him. But before I ran away, because I got so scared, I I thought about my future, all the future I've worked so hard for. I abandoned all of them. I thought about what my parents will say if they found that out, that I spent the night with a guy from the Western world. Um, and then he told me Vancouver is hosting 2010 Winter Olympics. He told me how beautiful Vancouver is, the big fir tree, the ocean, the mountain. He said, I need to visit there. And then I, I don't think I'm going to visit there. I don't even think I'm going out of China. But at that time, I just said, okay, I will. And that actually is a memory I also forgot until in 2010, for God knows what reason. Now I know why. It's because it's a promise I made at that time. But I visit Vancouver, but it's not in the winter. It's in the summertime. And then that, at that time, I thought I might want to go to Vancouver because I don't know anybody there. And it's easy to go to a gay bar, to go to Craigslist, to find hookups. And then, you know, and then there's nobody, I don't know. So I went there and then I tried to hook up with a guy from the gay bar and then he almost raped me because I never had sex before. I was 28 years old, still a virgin. Never sex, had sex with a girl or a guy. Um, and then I almost got raped and I ran out of the hotel. And then I thought about um, Tom. That's the name I used for, for the guy, but that's not his real name, but um, from Vancouver who asked me to go there. 
So I just think it's so fascinating that an empty promise that I thought is an empty promise I made long time ago in 2013, and I really make it happen. And that's where my come out story is, and to decide to come out to myself. Um, so that happens in 2010. So I come to the United States in 2007, and then I went to have my MBA at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina, and then moved to Seattle in 2009. Um, and then, yeah, after one year lived here, I decided to go to Vancouver, <laughs> maybe for that reason. So for that whole time that you were at Duke and everything, you were still sort of, um, you were closeted even to yourself. I am. I am. I did go to porn website, though. Gay porn website. Yeah. So you knew you, knew you were, talk about. you were just really repressing <laughs> it. I am. I, I know I like guys. Yeah. Um, but I'm so afraid. I remember I saw the LGBTQ. That's the first time I saw those letters. And then I quickly searched on Google to be what that means. And then I said, oh, my God, it's gay. I instantly shut it down because I don't think about it. At that time, it's actually in U.S., uh, going to a business school. It's not different than education in China. I need to compete with all my classmates to get a job, especially at that time. It's a great depression. Um, right. If I don't have a job and go back to China, I don't even have visa to work here. You know, so it's also a lot of pressure, actually, at that time. And when you're talking about the Internet Cafe, I one thing that I uh, underlined in, in my book when I was reading it, because it was so powerful that you said um, you know, that you searched, I guess, in the Chinese equivalent of Google while you were still in, were you still mm -hmm. in China uh, when you, I yep, guess? Yep, um, And you said you were blown away, you were shocked when you typed in homosexuality, and all you found was one after the other, homosexuality is a disease. Homosexuality is a shame for the family and the society. Homosexuals need to be cured. Um, you learned about AIDS and that AIDS is the ultimate disease and every homosexual has AIDS or that's what you thought and everything. Mm -hmm. And so yep. you started thinking to yourself, oh, well, maybe I have AIDS, even though you had never even been yeah. sexually intimate with anybody before. So this is that's the first really introduction you had to homosexuality. That's a... I mean, that, that can scar you as somebody who is thinking maybe they're homosexual and that's what they're hearing for the first time about it. That's so true. That's what I learned. Can you imagine what my parents learned, what my grandparents, they thinking about homosexuality? It's like, it's just so hard when you are confined in a world that you believe that's the truth, right? That's what I grew up in. And then so, if and I know that I am that evil, and that's just depressing, very depressing. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how they can control the internet like that and control what comes up when, they, when you're searching things that they just don't want you searching for. And yeah, the end result is, Google look, is this is bad. Now. Don't, you know what I mean? All the results are the negative side of whatever you're trying to find. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So that's what um, Google cannot go into China is because it's right. blocked. It's either you comply with the Chinese local law, which means that you need to change everything. You need to uh, huge censorship by the government. Um, like right now, I'm, uh, this is my book, by the way. So I'm translating my book into Chinese and then um, to just share the book for free on the internet. But when I'm translating, so many websites block it. Oh, wow. And you cannot share this block. And then I try to, and there are some people now try to uh, read the book um, in English. They ask, ask me to ship it back, and I cannot ship it back. All the shipping companies say it's huge censorship. Your book cannot be shipped. So I'm trying to wow. see how what are other ways. Maybe go to Hong Kong and Taiwan to try to publish this book, and then have a way to deliver to people in back in China. Our kids have been using Greenlight Card now for, I'd say, almost a month. And it just, it totally seems like a no-brainer to me to use it. It just, it has helped so much with their spending, their saving, even uh, to save to donate. Just, there's so many things you can do with this card. And they create savings goals for your child that encourages them to set aside money for a specific purpose and track progress towards reaching that goal. And we talked about our son. He uh, saved up for sneakers and bought them. It was awesome. Set your own parent-paid interest rate and show your kids how their money grows each month when they make good decisions to save. Our daughter's saving up for a laptop, and we are matching everything that she saves so that she can get the laptop in time for
for high school. And um, yeah, we can put the money just right there into her account. And then she can use her card to buy the laptop. Right. So and she's she, doing it by herself. And she's been babysitting. And I've been telling uh, the people who she's babysitting for, just put the money straight on her green light card. Yeah. So it's it's awesome. Um, there's instant transfers, real-time notifications, complete account activity history. So you can see everything they've been spending on. And um, you can also put your child's uh, picture on it, which has been really fun. They love that. They and love they that. show everybody. Yeah, yeah. They love having their own card with their picture, which is so cool for them. Right. And also another cool feature for us, we get an alert on our phone anytime they use their card. So we know exactly what's going on and what they're doing. Yeah. And you can also set it that if you don't want them using it at certain stores, you can place um, a, a, like a barrier on it. Right. So anyway, head to greenlightcard.com slash marriage to get, to get your first month free. And then it's just $4.99 per month per family for up to five kids. It's a game changer. Greenlightcard.com slash marriage. First month free, $4.99 per month per family for up to five kids. I'm going to tell you today about Nomi. It's N-O-E-M-I-E. Nomi. I love the name. And uh, I just got this adorable elephant jewelry from them that I'm really excited about. But what Nomi is, is usually major brands in the jewelry industry mark up their products up to 10 times the actual cost. Nomi does things differently. It's able to provide the highest quality jewelry. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details at a fraction of the traditional retail prices by having their own production house and only selling directly to customers. If you're tired of markups and middlemen typical of traditional retailers, Nomi pioneered their own model to design, source, create, and sell directly to you. They have quality wedding bands that are guaranteed to be better priced than anywhere else in the world and made in any size you need, literally any size. Shipping is overnight for free, so you can try it on and have up to 60 days to return for free with a full refund. Your Nomi jewelry is made to last a lifetime, jewelry for today and heirlooms of tomorrow. And Nomi created the perfect recipe for extraordinary service that combines fine jewelry, expertise, and personalized attention. So head to hellonomi.com and put in promo code MNM for $75 off any wedding bands today. That's hellonomi.com, promo code MNM for $75 off any wedding band today. All right, so tell us about now, so uh, you, you talk about that you went on Craigslist and that you were dating mm-hmm. sort of, you were finding guys on Craigslist. Uh, yep. So you, you talk about, and you got yourself into all these dangerous situations. Like you said, you almost got raped. Um, mm-hmm. And then, but sometimes you also, some of the men you met were nice and understanding uh, and told you that you actually wanted to be on Match.com. You did not want to be, Craigslist was more for sex. And that you found, you <laughs> met somebody who said, this is not what you're looking for, what you're actually looking for. You want a relationship. You want to go on Match.com. Yeah, you know, it's like, go back to what you just mentioned about the citizen and belonging. And I feel like I found my group, right? The great people on Craigslist. Actually, I never really have sex with any of them, the people I found on Craigslist until I met Brian. So every time we met together, we'll fool around. And then, um, but I always ask questions. I always want to know where they are from. What do their family think? How do they come out to their family? I'm those kind of question kids. And then they hate it. And most people <laughs> are going there and just look for sex. Right. And you're curious because so, this is all new for you. This I feel is belonging. I feel like, oh my God, you are my people. Mm-hmm. And then we should help each other. What's the problem here? Why you do want to talk to me? Oh. So, there's, <laughs> so there's one guy, actually, uh, he also worked for Microsoft. Um, and then uh, we met on Craigslist. 
and then we have some fun in the first time, not sex kind of fun, but still fun. Um, and then the, he asked me to come back five days later. So I went back and I want to talk more. And then, and so, all right. So yeah. then tell, tell us about what meeting Brian, who is your now husband. So meeting, yes. Meeting Brian is just like any other Craigslist I, I call hookup with no, no real sex. And then, so, um, he sent a picture on Craigslist without, uh, it's not like kind of naked photo or a dick pic. And it's just a full clothes picture. And I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's he standing uh, behind a tree, and then it's like a pear tree or something like that. And then he has a beautiful smile. So we wanted to meet up that night. Um, and then so I drove to his place at 9.30 or 10 o'clock. And then um, I went to meet with him. I, I don't know why. I just brought six packs of Blue Moon beer. Uh, I grew up in a family nobody drinks, but I always think drinking made me feel cool. You know, and then it's like fitting in again. Uh, so I brought the beer. I don't even realize Brian just got his second DUI and then he cannot drink, he cannot do anything. So I brought the beer. Um, so I meet with him and then we talked for hours that night and then he talked to me. And then so we talked, we talked, at the end we have sex. And so that's my first real sex. Um, and then I feel so good the next day. Um, and I just feel like I found somebody. So, but he at the same time was in an open relationship. And he's closeted to his family as well. But and then an just, open relationship, uh, meaning that he was he he didn't believe in monogamy, correct? When you first met him, he didn't want no. to be monogamous, right? No. And then he he's also um, uh, hooking up with different guys on uh, Craigslist. Um, at the same time, he also have one or two guys he um, constantly uh, meeting. So um, they all came before me. But I do think. Um, I, I don't believe in love in first sight, at least that's me. But I know there's something there that connect us together. Um, and then uh, right after meeting him, and we date every single day after that for a few days. And then um, and right after that, and I need to go to Europe for a um, couch surfing trip. So this is a, another tangent of the story. I really don't want to leave. But when I come out to myself, I decide to travel. And I know how travel has helped me dramatically in my life to at least to come here, come to the United States and to start a new life, to learn about different culture. Um, so I booked a trip couch surfing in Europe. And then I decided to stay with all the gay family in Europe. So that was a fun trip. I think it's a great way to learn about gay culture. And but I don't want to leave Brian because I know if I leave Brian, he'll go back to all his other guys. Uh, but I still, I still went either way. So that's created a lot of trouble, but um, and also give me a lot of time to think, to thinking about what is gay, what does a gay mean, what do different people live in their gay life? Like a couple I met in Frankfurt, they're in their 50s, they don't have kids, and they're in love for four or 20 years. They're married, but they have sex with different people all the time, every week. And then on the other side, they're Belgian, there's this couple. Um, the guy, one of the guys from uh, Singapore, just like me, as thin as me. And the other guy is from Belgium, a police officer. They're in love. They don't want to be with anybody else. So I told myself I want to be with a, like a couple like in Belgium. And I told Brian that. We text each other every day. And I told him I love him. I don't know why. And my best friend at that time I met, I, the first person I came out to, said I'm crazy. I'm like an 18 years old little girl. First time fell in love. <laughs> this is the Aww. true love. <laughs> but. Uh, it worked out. So anyway, so and then I he he changes then, his mind about he decides that maybe he could have a monogamous relationship with you. Yeah. Mm, How did exactly. he respond to that text? Mm. How did he respond to when you told he him said, you love him? I'm, yeah, he said I'm special. He thinks this will work. Oh, he said I'm special. He thinks this will work. Um, just give him some more time. That's what he said. Mm. Good answer. So yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. And then um and then. You come out to your parents, and this is huge yeah. because, mm-hmm. and you do it in a letter. Yeah, I cannot tell them face to face or uh, calling them. Uh, I will give them a heart attack. My dad's heart is never good, so I don't want to <laughs> do that. And you yep. don't think they didn't suspect it at all, right? This is a complete and total shock out of nowhere to them. A lot of parents, you come out to them and they say, oh, oh come on, I knew. Or, you know, I suspected it. Or, But for mm-hmm. them and their culture and, and, and everything, they, this wasn't even on their radar. Well, neither is sexuality. They're not allowed to 
state. They're not allowed to, mm-hmm. you know, so there's right. not, you're not even seeing that happen. Right, right. But to, but eventually they know he's going to want to get married and everything. So to say, I found someone, I'm in love with them, it's a man. Right. To be honest, I'm, I, if I, on my side, I'm like, parents, you are dumb if I know I'm not, uh, if, you know, I'm not gay. I mean, because I don't have girlfriends. And every time it seems I want to have a girlfriend, I run away. And then I never talk about girls. I, there must be something going on. But for them, I think they're just in denial, just like what Adam was talking about. They don't even, they don't believe that's a possibility. They don't even understand that. It's not their vocabulary. So it is a big shock to them, definitely. Mm-hmm. And then we, they come to visit us after my letter. I was forced to come out to them because they visit me every year. So I need to come out to them because I was leaving, living with Brian at that time. So when they come, they know I'm not, I'm not home. And I don't want to live a fake life anymore. I'm done. And I'm madly in love. So um, I send a letter and they came. And it's not what they're thinking, the life. I mean, everything changed. I don't stay at home anymore. The food they cook. And we don't enjoy eating anymore. And we don't talk anymore. So every time before, every year, they want to stay longer. They want to spend time with their only child, you know. But that year, they left two weeks early. And then at the airport, my mom said to me, so she never going to come back to Seattle anymore. I feel like she's abandoning me. Mm. Um, and that was sad. But on the other side, Brian continued telling me that, like, give them some time. Give them, um, give them some space. And, um, and that's what we did. So we're focusing on our life, focusing on what we could do, instead of um, making sure my mom will accept us. And um, what really changed is, again, traveling. Because we know that's actually one thing what helped Brian and me. One thing I think every relationship should have is create new experience. We all come with the baggage, our horrible memory. Like why Brian doesn't believe in marriage is also his parents divorced. And then a lot of the family members have divorced. So that's why he doesn't believe marriage means love. But... Uh, as we start traveling around the world, start to build more memories, and all those experiences is based on what we do together. So we see there's love. So marriage is just a, in our opinion, it's just one natural step moving to a commitment with each other. So that's what we did with my parents as well. Um, we want them to accept us, so we bring them to um, uh, Yellowstone National Park. We want them to enjoy the raw nature of the world and then camp with us. And then um, is there, my mom and I have a great talk. And then because she did homework, her homework as well, mm-hmm. because I'm the only child, she doesn't want to lose me. She watched a lot of those kind of gay scene movies as well. She said a lot of those kids say suicide. She doesn't want me to suicide. I told her I won't. I mean, I'll live happily. And then that's where I think we amend our relationship. Um, and that happened a year after they left Seattle. Wow. That's amazing. And they really did yeah. like a full 180. What? <laughs> what a fucking story. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm blown away. You're like, this is like. <laughs> and, and they really do. A f- I mean, I, first of all, the whole Yellowstone Park, I cried through the whole thing because mm. she really, it is amazing because parents can come around even, you know, here they knew nothing about it. And like you said, she researched and she, she found a place in her heart for it. And she, they, they then, now they love Brian. Right. And, um, yep. and yeah, well, they knew nothing about it. Right. They didn't know it was a thing. So yeah. they just, they just knew it was wrong and that was it. Yep. So once they can that- finally understand, it's more than just, you know, and understanding it's, it's realizing that that's who you are. That's who their son is. So, you know, it comes it's, from the heart and it comes yeah. from knowledge. Yeah, it's, I'm helping them to break the equation like Danielle, you were mentioning. So gay means shame. Gay right. means homosexual right. means evil. So that's what the equation they believe in. And then for me, it's on me to tell them that that's not the truth. And then it just means we're another happy family that also have our problems, tons of problems mm. that we fight all the time. And then that's what I need to show them. And that's also one thing I was also always sharing with my uh, friends who are still uh, gay, the closet. I say, don't just go to show them you're gay. It's not the point. I mean, we are gay. That's just one part of who we are. Focusing on building your life. 
Like I didn't come out to my parents until I met Brian. I didn't come out to my colleagues at Microsoft until I got married because that's a celebration. I didn't come out to my over 90 years old grandma and grandpa back to China before we have kids because I want them to celebrate their fourth generation down. I think that's the key is focusing on building your life. And then once you reach all those milestones, is celebrate with the people you love. And I just think that's so important. And that it will be way easier for them to accept it. Right, smart. Rather than, yeah. mm-hmm. right. Makes a lot of yeah. sense. Yeah, that's such, and that's such good advice too. You tell the people close to you, like you told your best friend because you knew your best friend would accept you. And then you were patient yeah. and you had to wait and you waited for the right time. And I, I'm going to talk about Andrew Solomon one more time <laughs> and then I'm going to stop because I'm sure. But, but he talks about a lot. He talks about... Um, vertical identities and horizontal identities a lot and a vertical identity meaning they're the things that are passed down to you that you share with your family your genetics your culture your religion your race and it makes Mm -hmm. it easy to bond with your family like that and to love your kids for all these things that they share with you but then we also have Mm -hmm. these horizontal identities which make up who we are, but that we don't share with our family. It might be being gay, um, you know, yeah. being deaf. You might have uh, learning disabilities or you might be a prodigy or a genius. All of these things that, that we probably don't share with our family, that it makes it harder to accept sometimes. Those are the things that we need to say to ourselves. Uh, okay, you know, that th- those may be the more difficult things to understand and accept about our kids. Um, but yet it, it's, it's so important to remember that we each have that identity and we all want to feel accepted for those separate, those things that we, we have separate from our families. And as parents, it's our, uh, responsibility to accept for not only the vertical things that we share with our kids, but the things that we don't, the horizontal yep. identities. And, and that also what you're talking about, you had found your people that we, a lot of times need people that aren't our fam, our you know blood family because we need to have a place that we belong when you're talking about belonging that uh can understand us and that we identify with for those things that are our horizontal identities that our that our family doesn't share with us so mm-hmm. that's really I, important I cannot too. agree more yeah. yeah i think he always talking about forging meaning and built identity right right it is building those horizontal identity to understand who you are that's right and then to find a group that you can belong to and i think that's so important yeah and then yeah and that's mm-hmm. what your parents were ultimately doing is that now they were accepting you not only for your everything you have in common with them but for the person you are for you know for all parts of your identities and that's amazing yeah, it's also now they are experiencing a completely different world they cannot imagine. Like last two weeks, we were in Utah doing the national park. We rent the RV to do a trip, and they are coming with us. Aww. And then it's like we're traveling with them everywhere. Um, and then so they cannot imagine this if they don't expand their uh, horizon, right? And then to build their horizontal identity. So anyway, it's a win-win for everybody. That's great. And they even, uh, once you told them and everything, and you told them that you wanted to start a family and you were having trouble, they even wanted to adopt for you, right? They were going to try. Oh, my God. (laughs) Brian won the tiny baby. And then so uh, he liked Asian. And then, but we asked. And then in China, they don't allow gay adoption, definitely. So uh, we don't want to lie. A lot of people say they're there one guy single guy go to adopt in china we don't want the kids starting as a big lie it's like so that's why we talked to my parents and then my mom said we'll go to adopt for you and then when we visit united states we will re-adopt to you um and then unfortunately the only child policy only allowed them to have one kid right so they cannot in china you can only yeah. have one child yeah right now the policies start changing uh because it's an aging population uh-huh. but before it's for over 20 years, it's always like that. Right. Yep. Okay, and I, I, tell me a little bit now, tell us a little bit now about um, your kids. Oh, they're <laughs> the joy of life. They're everything. It's like um, we have three girls, and then Phoebe is three and a half, Hanalei and Chelsea, they are um, two, just turned two. Um, You're busy. Phoebe was full term. It is. Uh, we are busy. <laughs> and that plays so much fun, though. And then uh, after writing this book, actually all my time right now, other than my work, real estate, all dedicated to the kids. And I'm also following, I don't know whether you guys heard of Actum Academy. 
Um, it's a school that started by Laura um, in uh, Austin. So, and then the way they want to teach kids, it's just so amazing. They want to each kid to be there on their hero's journey and then to uh, foster curiosity and then never be a teacher in the classroom. It's always a guide to help the teacher to fail and then to stand up and to learn. So every year the kids need to sign a contract with them. So it's a completely charter school and then to help the kids. What is it called so, again? Um, it's called Acton Academy, A-C-T-O-N. A-C-T-O-N, uh, okay. Yes, that's correct. Wow. And then they recommend 28 books. Um, that's my, uh, it's all about learning. And what they say, Laura, I met her in a um, uh, personal development retreat in Austin. What she said really inspired me is actually growing up with kids is actually to reshaping ourselves to make us a little bit better and that's so we can find out the genius in each kid so she recommends 28 books i'm reading one book a week right now and then taking notes and writing on my blog what i've learned about education about growing with kids and about building a better self so that's one thing what i'm doing for my three girls because every day seeing them is just the best thing best thing in life and then we work so hard and then to have them Anyway, I'm, I'm so sorry. You asked about uh, how, my kids. No, 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 no. That's great. Future. It's great information for people. For, I mean, that sounds like an amazing school. I want to look into it. Um, how, well, how, did you, yeah. how did you decide, both of you, who was fathering the children? Where? Uh, both of us. So we take terms, and then um, it's a little bit tough. It's like, what's their traditional role? Because they call me Baba. I mean, uh, in Chinese. Oh, I father. think you meant yeah. biologically. I, I meant, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I meant yeah. biologically. Oh. Like like where this who, whose sperm was used to... to be, for the to, surrogacy. Oh, that's a big biology uh, practice. So basically, the first time we got an egg donor and then we um, made embryos for Brian for, and for myself. And then so we planned one boy from Brian, one girl from me. So the sperm with the same egg donor. And then somehow we lost the baby. I think it's in 12 weeks. Oh. And that's when, um, that's Brian is a little boy. And then Brian don't have any embryo left. And I have a lot of embryo left. So the second time, um, is a little bit of tangent story. The second time we did it again, but at first I just want to go easy. So I said, let's just use all my frozen embryos. So you'll all be biological and related to me. And my mom actually come out to say how selfish I could be. Oh. And, oh. and then, this is cost money, you know, to get a new egg sure. donor and to go through this. That's another twenty, thirty thousand dollars. So, and then uh, we end up to find a new egg donor, and then this time biology proved me completely wrong. All Brian's successful, all me, my fail. So we use Brian's from the second egg donor, and then we use one from the first egg donor with me, and then to plant two more girls in the surrogate body. So basically, they're twins, but they're not genetically related at all. Oh my wow. gosh. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. One is a blonde girl. One is a half Chinese. Wow. Oh, my God. This is so incredible. <laughs> they look, wow. Yeah, they cannot look more different. I know. I've seen you have a right. beautiful, you really have a beautiful family. It's like the, I mean, the ultimate, it's just, it's incredible. So oh, um, thank you. And anybody yep. who's interested in surrogacy um, and who I know you, you answer a ton of questions in the book about it. Um, and you talk about it, you know, uh, um, in terms of really trying to help people and guide them through it, because it's really a um, it's an exhausting process. Yeah, it is. And then there are so many um, clinic or agency, they're charging so much money and then the process is complicated. And then so it's so easy to understand what the detail, what are the risk in each part. And then a lot of times why I wrote, wrote this book, the second part is all about the surrogacy, is I just want to document all my journey. It's like every single day, even detail the expense to a, a dinner with my surrogate. Because I think those are important to let people understand the real journey, other than it's a textbook you know, surrogacy. Yeah. Um, so that's um, why we want to share just some personal part that hopefully people can relate. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing with us, and I I love yeah, the okay. book. Um, I really did. Thank I really you. enjoyed it, and I knew the second that I I um I found you, uh, on Instagram and started following you and everything. I just I I knew I had to have you on because I think you have such a beautiful oh, story, you. and I love where you've ended up and the struggles that you've come through. And you should. I just think it's amazing, and uh, and so thank you for for sharing. Um, so where can everybody find you? 
I know your book is I got it on Amazon, so I know you can get it on Amazon. And it's on two dad three girls dot com. So it's a number two and number three, two dad three girls dot com. Um, and then there we have like if you want to understand our surrogacy, there's surrogacy detail cost. You can download it. It's every single expense we have there. And also I just started a blog there to document all the books I wrote uh, I read. And then I will detail all the summaries once a week about every single book that um, if you want to follow us about our learning journey with the girls, because that's my next chapter, I think, to grow with the girls and to be a better parent that I could be. Um, yeah, so do that three girls.com. Well, that's great. Yeah. Congratulations, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> what a, st- what a journey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, You're and doing some good stuff. Yeah. So really, we're, we're, we're so grateful that you came on. And I know there's more. So maybe in the future we can do a, uh, you know, maybe we can even do a double session with Brian. So, oh, that would be um, yeah, yeah, that would be great. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you, yeah. Nick. And um, everybody, you know, go to uh, it's uh, two girls and three dads. Not dads. Two girls, oh, three two dads. girls, three dads. No, two, two oh, dads, sh- three oh. girls. <laughs> <laughs> I need a coffee. Somebody bring me a coffee. <laughs> so it's two dogs anyway, and will, six girls. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> that would be some all weird website coming up. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, all right, but we'll link it everywhere. And um, and thank you so much. It was so wonderful talking to you. And uh, and thank you for doing this. I really enjoy your podcast, the, especially the Gay Dads episode. Uh, and then I learned a lot. And, you know, to hear different people's story, um, you guys are doing amazing things out there. Please continue doing Thank so. you. Thank well, we are. You, you too. You too. So, um, yeah. all right. Well, you have a wonderful day with your girls. Enjoy the ferry. Thank you. Okay. Right. okay. Bye-bye. Bye. are on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.